We come to you, O Lord, and we give you thanks, we give you praise, we give you our hearts, Lord, as we are your people. We come to you and we ask that you would teach us in this time, help us to see what we need to learn, help us to apply what we need to um, do in our lives to progress in being the people you want us to be. So bless us, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, let's say our verse together, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so as we're going through the book of Acts, we're seeing the Holy Spirit come upon his people. We're seeing the witness of God being shared. We're seeing people come to know and believe in Jesus Christ. And we're seeing the word of God, the gospel spread beyond Jerusalem, beyond into the more outer parts of the world. Christianity Today, in an article, October 2017, talked about how the number of Christians has increased from 9 million in 1900 to 541 million Christians today. The church has seen dramatic growth, especially lately, in places like Asia and South America and Africa. In fact, the growth of the African church in the last 15 years has been tremendous. 51% increase. Basically, 33,000 people a day are coming to know Jesus Christ in Africa. See, the mainstream media doesn't want us to know about the the growth of the Christian faith. We don't hear these statistics. We don't hear these stories in, in the regular news. We think that Christianity is decreasing, but it, it is increasing, especially in those places where persecution is the highest. It's interesting to see that when persecution is happening in an area, Christianity actually explodes faster than in our country that has such a great apathy towards faith. I mean, we can worship at any time, anywhere, and yet there's such a great apathy of Christians in the United States. Maybe people still go to church, maybe people still know and believe in Jesus, but there isn't the same kind of energy, there isn't the same kind of witness in the United States as in these countries where they're persecuted for their faith. As we've been progressing in the book of Acts, we've seen that there has been great persecution on the Christians. And we know the greatest persecutor was Saul until he became a Christian. And then his persecution went away. But the persecution didn't stop after Saul. And today we find that we have a new antagonist, and his name is King Herod Agrippa. Now, this is not the same King Herod as in the area of Jesus. There's a a number of different King Herods along the way. This is King Herod Agrippa I. And he did not like Christians, and he wanted to please the Jews, And so he decided that he was going to bring persecution upon the Christians, especially because the Jews were being upset that Christianity was now being spread to the Gentiles. 
And so we read in verses 1 to 4, and again, read the yellow parts with me. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for a public trial after the Passover. And so here we have this situation where Herod is arresting James, putting him to death, seeing that that pleases the Jews, arresting Peter. And what does he do? He surrounds Peter with four squads of four soldiers. So basically, he believes it takes 16 soldiers to guard Peter. Why? Why would he put so much attention on Peter, guarding Peter? Well, Peter was the head of the Christian church. Peter was public enemy number one. Peter, in his sermons, were stirring up people. He was teaching about Jesus, and people were coming to know Jesus. And so he wanted to make sure that Peter stayed in jail. And he had this great plan to have this wonderful trial, this spectacle where he would receive all the, the tension, and the people would see that King Herod was more powerful than Peter's God. But we read in verse 5, So Peter was kept in prison, but what? The church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now, as we read this verse, if you've ever had someone pray for you, and you know the, the power of prayer, you know that when people are praying for you, God acts on your behalf, then this verse will be very encouraging to you. This verse will uplift you. This verse will strengthen you. Peter, as a disciple, knew that God cared for him. Peter, as a disciple, knew that he needed to trust himself to God. Peter was grateful that he was being prayed for. In fact, Peter, in his, his uh, epistle later, would write these words in chapter 5, verse 7. Read this with me. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So take in that verse. Peter is in prison, and he has this frame of mind. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I can only imagine the anxiety you might have if you were taken to prison. And yet I believe that Peter had this sense of peace. He knew that God cared for him. He knew that people were praying for him. He knew that God was with him. We need to have that same kind of understanding. We need to have that same kind of peace. Whenever we face challenge or trial or, or difficulty, we need to cast our anxiety on God, knowing that he cares for us and that he will take care of the situation for us. And so right after this, we get to the place where Peter escapes. Now, this, this whole part of the story reminds me of when I was a kid. I don't know if you ever played this game, but we played this game called capture, right? And so we'd capture someone, and then we would tie them up. But the problem was, especially when you're a little kid, you don't really know how to tie someone up, right? 
I didn't really know how to tie knots. So my philosophy was the more knots, the better, right? And so you tie it around their wrists, and you tie, and you tie, and you make another knot, another knot. So you have like 12 knots, right? I didn't know at that time. It didn't matter how many knots you had. It was what kind of knots you had. And it was so funny because when I was done tying, and I thought I'd done this great job, the person would kind of move their hands, and the ropes would just fall off. Do you remember that? Did you ever do anything like that? It's like all of my work was for nothing, right? I thought it was, of course, you know, when you're playing the game, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm tied up. I can't get out. Well, this is what the story is all about, right? Peter is in prison. He's being guarded by 16 guards, right? 16 guards. But for God, Peter being in prison is kind of like my knots, right? No big deal for God. And Peter's in prison, and he's asleep. He's in between two soldiers, the scripture tells us. And the angel of the Lord comes, pokes him in the side, wakes him up, and what happens? The chains fall off. They just fall off. It was no big deal for God to save Peter. And Peter was thankful. As he was going away at first, he was so amazed that, that he was free from prison. And he was so amazed, but then he knew that it was God's doing. And he gave thanks, and he gave praise to God. And he knew that people were praying for him. And so he was headed towards the house of those who were praying for him. You know, stories like this happen all the time for people who believe in God. It's a story of uh, an Indian evangelist named Sundar Singh. And he had been sharing his witness in Nepal, India, and he had been bringing people to Christ, and he was public enemy number one. And he was forbidden to preach there, but he preached there anyway. And so they arrested him, and they took him to this well, and they dropped him in this well, and they put a lid on it, and they locked it. And he knew he was there to die, because he was sitting on the bones of others who had died in this well. And so he started to pray to the Lord. And as he was praying, he heard a noise, and he looked up, and he saw the lid of the well being slid open. And he saw this, this rope being lowered down, and it had a loop on the end of the rope. And so he stepped into the loop, and it began to raise him out of the well. And of course, being from the dark to the light, he was trying to get his bearings. And when he finally looked around, he didn't see anybody. And in fact, when he turned to look back at the well, the lid was over the top of the well, locked still. And Sundar Singh knew that the Lord had rescued him. See, God rescues us all the time when we pray to him. God rescues us all the time when we give ourselves over to him, when we believe God is there to rescue us as he rescued Peter. And so he goes to the house of Mary, and he knocks on the door. And we read what happens next in verses 13 to 16. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she let him in, right? No, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it. Now, I love this story. I chuckle every time I read this story. Peter's escaped from prison. He's knocking on the outer door. And Rhoda is so excited that she's there. What does she do? She leaves him outside. 
And she runs back, and then see what happens next. Peter is at the door. An argument ensues. You're out of your mind, they told her. And she kept insisting that it was so. They said, it must be his angel. So read with me. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter's like, excuse me, let me in. They could have ended the argument long before that had they just opened the door and let him in. No way. There's no way Peter's standing out there. I don't believe you. No, it's true. No way. I can't believe. He's in No, they're going back and forth, and Peter's like, hello. You know, I mean, any minute someone could come and rest me again. You know, I'm trying to get out of the open, right? I love this story. It's so funny. They're just, they're just going on and on, and finally they let him in, and they're so excited when they see him that this commotion arises, and Peter's like, guys, shh, calm down. But they were so excited that Peter had been freed from prison that they were overjoyous and making a great noise, the scripture tells us. Peter's escape was not good for Herod or for those around Herod because, remember, Herod was going to have this great spectacle of a trial. And now... Peter was not to be found. We read in verses 18 and 19, read with me. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. What a scene Peter's disappearance caused. What a scene God's power at work caused. What a disruption to Herod and his grand plan. Herod doesn't want to look foolish, and so what does he do? He executes the soldiers to show that he still is in power and has authority. See, we need to remember that it's really not about what we want. It's about what God wants. It's not about what we plan. It's about what God plans. God's plan will come to be. Even in the midst of our mistakes, even in the midst of power shown by the world, God's plan will come to fruition. You know, God could have saved Peter any time, but he didn't save him until the night before the Passover was to end the night before his trial was to begin. And then God, in the last moment, showing his power, saved Peter and freed him from prison. Now, Herod thought that he had power. And as a king, he did have some power. I mean, he had power to put James to death. He had power to have Peter arrested. And in fact, we're told that in verse 22... They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. And talking, to, talking about Herod, when the people were hearing him talk, they were lifting him up and they were saying, this is the voice of a God, not a man. You can imagine how Herod loved that, right? He loved that they revered him. He thought that he had this great standing, this great stature, this great power. But he was dishonoring God with his power. 
Reminds me of the story of King Saul in the Old Testament. Remember, the people wanted a king, and God said, but I'm your king. They said, no, we want an earthly king. And so God set up King Saul as the first king of the people. And the king, as king, he was supposed to honor God and serve God and be God's physical servant to the people. But the power and the arrogance got to him. And he turned away from God, and he made decisions that were not honoring of God. And so God took away the kingdom from Saul and gave it to David. But King Saul wouldn't relinquish the power. In fact, he sought to kill David, thinking, if I can just rid the world of David, then I can keep hold of my kingdom. But it wasn't really his kingdom. It was God's kingdom. And God had set him up, but he didn't honor God in that. And ultimately, it led to to Saul's embarrassment, and ultimately, Saul ended up killing himself. Herod thought he was so powerful And the people thought that he was so powerful, but in the end, he was not powerful. And we're told in the scriptures that the angel of the Lord came and struck Herod down. And then, really interesting verse after that, and it says, and he was eaten by worms. Lovely thought, right? But the point is this. He was in no way a god. He in no way had any power near the power of God. No matter what he thought, God was in control and God's will would be done. We must be careful to not think of ourselves greater than God in any way, and we sometimes do. We sometimes think we have more wisdom than God. We sometimes think we know things better than God. We sometimes think that our plan is better than God. We sometimes think that God has gotten it all wrong, and and we seek other things to lead us and guide us and be a God of our life. We do this all the time, and we are foolish when we do this. Do not miss the point of this chapter, that on the one side you have Herod persecuting Christians, killing James, imprisoning Peter, giving no praise to God. And then on the other side you have Peter, imprisoned for sure death, saved by God, humble and noble, a servant of the Lord who gives much thanks and praise to the Lord. We have to make a choice. Are we going to be more like Herod? Walking away from God, turning our eyes from God, not giving praise and thanks to God for everything that he has given us? Are we going to be like that? Or are we going to be like Peter? Are we going to be humble? Are we going to be a servant? Are we going to be seeking to... to tell people about Jesus? Are we going to be trying to lead people to the Lord? Are we going to give God thanks and praise and glory for our lives? We have to make that choice. And sometimes we make the choice to be like Herod in very subtle ways. But we make that choice. We need to be like Peter and follow Peter's example. From the very beginning of Christianity, there have been people who have tried to bring down Christianity. As Jesus' followers went out and began to preach, they felt persecution, and they tried to get Christianity done away with. Time and time again, people have come trying to persecute Christians and trying to rid the world of Christianity. King Herod was one more who wanted to rid the world of Christianity. And in the end, Herod was killed. And we're told these words, but the word of God, what? Continued to spread and flourish. 
continue to spread and flourish. Just in the last 30, 40 years, what we've seen happen in our own country, a country at one time which was said to be a Christian nation, right? I mean, we've, you've probably heard our nation talked about like that. The United States is a Christian nation. And yet just in the last 30 or 40 years, what? Bibles have been taken out of schools. Prayer has been taken out of school. The Ten Commandments has been taken out of the courtroom. We see that Christians are becoming persecuted more and more in our society. As they say, we're playing the game of uh, musical chairs and there's no longer a chair for us at the table. People all the time, throughout all of the centuries, have tried to rid the world of Christianity. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Not only did it spread, it flourished as well. Not only does the story of Herod's death show how God will receive all glory, it also shows that those who attempt to rid the world of Christianity and Christians will not be successful. The word of God is powerful and will stand firm. Love these words from the Apostle Paul in Romans 1, 16 and 17. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because what? It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This world and all that is in it cannot destroy the word of God. There is an emperor, his name is Diocletian, served as emperor in the 4th century, preceding uh, Constantine. And Diocletian was one who tried to rid the world of God's word. In fact, Eusebius, the historian, said this about him. Royal edicts were published everywhere, commanding that the churches be leveled to the ground and the scriptures destroyed by fire. That's how determined Diocletian was to rid the world of the word of God. And he said, if even one scripture is found and not brought to be burned, that person will be killed. And so two years after this edict was given, Diocletian said this, I have completely exterminated the Christian writings from the face of the earth. He believed that he had been successful. After he died, Constantine became emperor, and he became a Christian, and he wanted a copy of the Bible. But of course, at that point, they were, the people were still kind of uh, afraid to come forth with the word of God. And so he offered this great reward for anyone who would bring the Bible to him, and within 24 hours, 50 Bibles were brought to him. Diocletian was not successful in ridding the world of the word of God. We read in 1 Peter 1, 24-25, For all people are, are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. The word of God is powerful. The word of God is long-standing. The word of God will endure forever. 
Acts 12.24 tells us about the word of God spreading and flourishing and helps us to understand how the disciples, and especially people like Saul and Barnabas, made their travels to, to tell people about Jesus, to tell people about how your sins are forgiven in Jesus, to tell people that you need to believe in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, to tell people that you need Jesus more than anything else in your life. Saul and Barnabas were committed to traveling around and spreading the gospel to go beyond Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. What a great testimony we get from Saul and Barnabas. What a great example we should follow to make sure that whoever we encounter that does not know Jesus, has not heard the gospel, we need to share that. We need to be that committed to spreading the word of God, the most important word that can be told to another person. I've said this before, the most important decision someone will ever make in their life is to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And we are God's ambassadors called to take his word out to people so that they might believe. As Christ followers, we need to believe in the power of God to save us, to guide us, to empower us, to protect us, and help us to be fruitful. We need to multiply ourselves, and we do that by leading others to Christ. That is our call. And we need to help people to receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And so my prayer for each of you, for our church, is that we will be committed to this, to seeing the Word of God and to see Christianity increasing and multiplying. Let us pray.